chapter 11. And I'll journey through the Gospel of John. The last time I spoke, we looked at the first 16 verses of chapter 11. In those verses, we learned that Lazarus' sickness was what? For the the glory of God. And what we learned was that in our difficulties, we could take the opportunity. Every single one of us could take the opportunity, and we should take the opportunity to glorify God. Well, today, we're going to see something that Martha and Mary are going to experience Jesus' genuine concern for them as he finally arrives in the outskirts of Bethany. Not just to comfort them in the loss of their brother, but to proclaim who he really is. This should be a wonderful encouragement to us as believers uh, to know we don't have to wait for Jesus anymore. He abides with us forever. And we have the resurrection power actually living inside of us. Sometimes that blows my mind that the actual Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. So let's read our text, John chapter 11, verses 17 through 37. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in, uh, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where he saw Mary, I'm sorry, um, still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come to her with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you're just such a great, merciful high priest. We thank you, God, that you are truly the resurrection and the life. And maybe we didn't die physically, and you raised us physically. Maybe that didn't happen, but you raised us spiritually while we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Help us understand what you're saying to us tonight through your Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Nadeel Moody was a great preacher, he was an evangelist, he was an American uh, publisher in the, in, the, in the 1800s. 
And as a young man, he was called upon suddenly to preach a funeral sermon. And he hunted all through the four Gospels trying to find one of Christ's funeral sermons. But searched in vain. He found that Christ broke up every funeral he ever attended. Death could not exist where he was. When the dead heard his voice, they sprang to life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And as believers in Christ, I want to encourage you tonight that he is more than our friend. He is our life. And we can now experience resurrection power. We don't have to wait until we die. And three points I'm going to make tonight as we look in our text. First one is Jesus is present. He's present. He's not far away. Martha and Mary had away from him. He's not far away. He's present. He abides with us forever. Second one is Jesus is life. He doesn't just give life. He is life himself. And the third thing is Jesus is concerned. He's more concerned for you than you could even imagine. Let's look at the first point. Jesus is present. As new covenant believers, we don't have to wait for Jesus to arrive as Martha and Mary did. He's always with us. Always. Let's look at verse 17 through 20 again. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So Jesus leaves the place where he was with his disciples. And finally, he arrives at the outskirts of Bethany, a short distance where his good friends lived. And when Jesus arrived, the gospel writer John brings to our attention that Lazarus had been dead already four days. Now this is very significant because there was a rabbinic belief, the rabbis believed this, that the soul of the dead person hovered over the body for three days, hoping to re-enter it. But once the composition set in, the soul left. That's what they believed back then. At that point, death is irreversible. And John wants his readers to know that Lazarus was really dead. He wasn't just sick, he was really dead. Also, Lazarus being dead four days, no one could take this miracle of being raised from the dead and construe it as a, as a resuscitation. And so the Jews would have to recognize that only a divine miracle could bring him back to life. Listen, to this day, people want to strip the miracles out of the mighty works of God, to this very day. For example, there were those who said the Israelites crossing the Red Sea was not a miracle because the water level at that time was only three inches deep. And somebody wisely responded to that and said, well, if that's true then the miracle is even greater because God uh, drowned the whole Egyptian army in three inches of water. John is saying this, and this is why he's making a point to this. He's saying, Lazarus is dead, as dead as could be. And him being raised from the grave can only be a divine miracle. Anyway, the many Jews that were comforting their sisters were from Jerusalem, which in turn suggests that the family... Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were prominent and they were wealthy. When a person died, the Jews mourned for a prolonged period of time. Uh, During this period, it was considered a pious duty to comfort the bereaved. And when Martha hears that Jesus is coming, she goes out to meet him. And that was just like Martha in keeping with her forceful personality, if you remember in Luke's Gospel. 
Remember, it was Martha who was distracted by all the preparations. She was the one running around trying to get things prepared when Jesus came over the house. However, verse 20 tells us that Mary was sitting in the house in keeping with her contemplative personality. Also, you may remember that it was Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. And listening to every word that Jesus spoke. So once again in this gospel, we see the different personalities clashing as we saw in Luke's gospel. Anyway, Martha meets up with Jesus. Jesus is now present. First with Martha. He finally arrived after hearing the news of their brother's death. You see, Martha and Mary had to wait for Jesus. As I said two weeks ago, sometimes we have to wait for answered prayer. God, God's delays at times for reasons we, we just don't understand or may not understand. But we don't have to wait for his presence like the sisters did. Let me explain. Before Jesus was crucified, buried and resurrected, he walked the earth but was limited to one geographical place at a time. In other words, he could only be one place at a time because of his voluntary limitations as a human. The sisters had to wait for Jesus to arrive. We don't. When Jesus ascended into heaven, Acts 2 tells us that the Holy Spirit came and filled all the 120 believers in that upper room. And subsequent to that, every believer, that's including you and me, now have the Holy Spirit abiding with us forever. Let's look at John 14, verses 16 through 18. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is now present with us by his Spirit, and he will never leave us. As Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Does this mean that the Holy Spirit was not with Martha and Mary or any of the New Testament saints? No, of course not. Larry Pettigrew, in his book, The New Covenant Ministry of the Holy Spirit, says this. The Spirit dwelt with the Old Testament saints through the community, but would not be in them individually and intimately, since the Old Testament saints could not have enjoyed the benefits of the New Covenant before it has been inaugurated. In other words... The Holy Spirit was present with the people of God throughout redemptive history before Pentecost as a source of truth, as a source of faith, and a source of life. But once Pentecost came, the Spirit now indwells every single genuine believer with fullness and power, which, by the way, is now normal. Now, I'm not saying that if we had a similar situation as Martha and Mary, our answer to prayer would come any sooner. No, that's not the point. The point is his presence abides in us and is always with us. Now I went on a limb here for the first point because I want you to understand what unique privilege we have compared to Martha and Mary. To actually have the Holy Spirit living in us. We don't have to wait for the presence of Jesus anymore because we have the presence of Jesus by the indwelling Spirit. But we still have to, we may still have to wait like Martha and Mary did for our particular trial to be resolved through answered prayer. The difference is, his presence is with us. Psalm 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present 
help in trouble. In 1842, James Smith wrote concerning this verse. He said, there never was yet a friendless Christian. Whoever believes in Jesus is in covenant with God. And Jehovah is engaged to be his friend in every trouble. To comfort him in all his tribulations. And to be a God at hand, not afar off. Jesus is not far off anymore. He's within us. And when I get to chapters 14, 15, and 16 of John, I'm going to speak much more in detail on the Holy Spirit. Back to our text. Martha makes a statement that is one of grief. Verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And yet one of faith. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. You see, she believed the Lord's power to heal and that God would give Jesus whatever he asked and still be able to bring hope somehow to this grief-stricken family. But she didn't seem to have the confidence that Christ could resurrect her brother. But Martha, Mary, and the Jews present with them and us are about to learn something very powerful, which is our second point. Jesus is life. Jesus doesn't just give life, he is life. With his presence is life. Verses 23 to 27 again. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Jesus responds to Martha by assuring her, Your brother is going to rise. Martha, I mean immediately. Yes, she was familiar with the Old Testament. What the Old Testament said about the resurrection of the body. Passages from Job, the Psalms, and Daniel. She, she knew about the future resurrection. Plus she heard Christ teaching on the subject. John 5.21 um, says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. She was familiar with that. And she was familiar with this. John 6, verses 39 through 40. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. And she had to know about the raising of the widow's son and Jairus' daughter. But never made the connection that Jesus could raise her brother right now. So she knew that Christ had the power to raise Lazarus in the future. But to raise him now, she could not fathom that. She missed the point. And sometimes we miss the point, don't we? We come to faith in Christ who gives us eternal life, but we act like eternal life begins in heaven, not now. We fail to understand that this abundant life begins at the moment Jesus enters our heart by His Spirit. Of course, in heaven, there's going to be no more pain, sorrow, or death, or tears. And even though we still experience these things on this side of heaven, we have hope and joy and peace when we truly keep our minds on Him. The world cannot experience that. Notice Jesus doesn't criticize her for missing his point. Nor does he criticize her for basically saying, Jesus, you really came too late. God is more patient and more accepting 
than we really understand. He understands when we cry out to him. He does. Where were you, Lord, when my child died? He understands that. Or why did you allow this difficulty in my life? He understands that. God knows how we feel anyway, so be honest with him. Because even though our feelings might be wrong, be honest with God. Now, it doesn't mean that we approach God disrespectfully. Of course not. He's still God. He's still to be approached reverently. He's God. We are His creation and approach Him in adoration and worship and we bow before Him. However, with that respect, we can express how we feel as, as Martha did. Lord, He would not have died if You had been here. And even though Martha missed the point, Jesus wants to go beyond believing in a future resurrection only, but to believe in the source of resurrection life. Yes, Jesus will raise the dead in the future, but His power is not limited to the future only. His power was going to be demonstrated right now. He responds to Martha in verses 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? By the way, this is the fifth of seven I am sayings which Jesus claims deity. That he is the true God. What what is Jesus saying to her? That... What is he actually saying to her? This is what he's saying to her. Listen carefully. In essence, Jesus is saying, Martha, resurrection and life are not just future only. Don't trust in a future event, but trust in a living person who possesses resurrection life. I am that living person, Martha, whom you love, know, and trust. Apart from me, there is no life at all. I love the way John Piper paraphrases Jesus' conversation with Martha. He says... Here Jesus reveals his glory with, the, with his words, with the truth. He says, you believe that there is a great and glorious day of resurrection coming at the end of the age, when all believers will be raised bodily from the grave? You are right. And here's the mystery. I am the arrival of that day. You thought that day would come with the Messiah. I am the Messiah. It has come. And Jesus wants to take Martha from a theoretical belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in Him who alone can provide it. Just as He not only gives the bread of life from heaven, but He Himself is the bread from heaven. Remember when I preached on that in John 6? Jesus wasn't just giving them bread. What He was saying is, I am the bread of life. He's saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I don't just give you the truth. I am the truth. I don't just give you a way. I am the way. I don't just give you resurrection power. I am the resurrection. You see, Jesus is the source of all that. Listen, Jesus doesn't just give life. He is life. And when you and I approach God through Jesus Christ and ask Him for salvation, He doesn't just give you salvation. He Himself is salvation. Psalm 27.1 It says, the Lord is my light and what? My salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Then we go to Isaiah 12 too. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. Once again... 
The Lord doesn't just give salvation. He doesn't just give eternal life. He is salvation. He is eternal life. John 5.26 says, Jesus said, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And because he is life, he does not only raise the dead in the future resurrection, but he will raise anyone he pleases, both physically and spiritually, right now. He's the source of all life. I remember when I was a cartoon, uh, when I was a child, I used to watch certain cartoons. And one of them was called Felix the Cat. How many of you remember Felix the Cat? Remember the, remember the theme song? Felix the Cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat. Whenever he gets into fix, he reaches into his bag of tricks. Remember that? And Felix the Cat, he was the main character. He was the star of the show. He had many adventures with his secret bag of tricks that often helped him in dangerous situations, right? If there was a problem, what did Felix do? He went to his bag of tricks. That was, his, that was his help. Jesus Christ doesn't reach into a bag and say, here is your eternal life. No, he himself is eternal life. He's the source of life. Outside of him, <clears throat> there is no eternal life, no resurrection. Of course, when Jesus said these words, he extended it to all who would believe in him. He said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And if a person meets the precondition of believing in Jesus, he or she will live even though they die. That is physically. How and why? Because on the last day, he will raise them up. When a person dies physically and they are in Christ, Christ himself will raise him up when he returns. So, if you and I die first, when he returns, well, if you and I die first, we go to be with him forever. And when he comes back, then we get our new bodies. If we're living during his return, he raises us up immediately with new bodies. How great is that? How grand is that? I'm sure you're all... I know Aunt Diana is looking forward to that right now. She wants that today. But she has to wait a little bit because we want her to stay around until she's 150. No, she doesn't want to wait around that long. Then Jesus said something even stronger. In verse 26, he said, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Everyone who lives and believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life and will never die spiritually. Eternal life cannot be destroyed by physical death. When 9-11 happened, like all of you, I, I, was, I was, you know, troubled to say the least. I, I remember exactly where I was. I was on Staten Island on South Avenue. I remember exactly where I was. I remember a UPS driver telling me about the first plane, because I hadn't heard it at that point. He told me the first plane went to one of the World Trade Towers, and then the next plane hit. And I also remembered parking on one of the overpasses after I heard the news, because I was stuck on Staten Island, and having a clear view of the burning building. Then, because I was stuck on Staten Island, I stayed with a friend at his business. And as we were watching the buildings just burning away, one began to collapse. And I had to turn my head. I just couldn't look. And some of the people who were in those buildings were killed instantly when the plane struck. And others were destroyed later on. But if they were believers that were killed, just as quickly as they died, they were in heaven. Like that. They couldn't die spiritually. 
Oh yeah, physical death they died, but spiritually they couldn't die. Oh yeah, once again, they died biologically, but death can't interrupt the spiritual life of the people of God. How awesome is that? Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is in sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus now challenges Mary, or Martha, and all of us. He says, do you believe this? That's what the Christian life is all about. Do you believe? Not an intellectual belief, a deep-rooted trust, a deep-rooted belief that says, God, I believe you, and I will obey you, and I will trust you. Religion says, do this, do that. Christianity says, believe in me. Martha got it right. She, like John the Baptist, Nathaniel, Peter, and other disciples understood that Jesus is the Christ. Israel's long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, who came into the world. A perfect confession of faith. This is why John wrote his gospel, by the way, in John 20, 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I love the way Dr. R.C. Sproul said, Jesus is the resurrection and the life for all his people. If you believe in him, you will never die. And like Martha, do you believe this? Even though Martha got it right, she still had to learn to apply biblical truth to her life. Because a few minutes later, when she heard Jesus call for the removal of the stone to raise Lazarus, she objected in verse 39. But Lord, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been dead four days. You see, she still didn't quite get it. And she still didn't know how to apply truth. So, again, Martha reminds us of ourselves. A willingness to verbally proclaim biblical truth without applying it to our lives. See, biblical truth, you need to apply. Like James said, don't be just hearers of the word, be doers. After confessing her faith in Jesus, Martha goes and calls her sister Mary. Let's read the rest of our text, verses 28 to 37. When she had said this, she went, out, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in, her house, in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet to him, uh, fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Jesus is present with them. And with that presence is resurrection life. But there's also a concern Jesus in their midst, which is the third point. Jesus is concerned. He's present, he's life, and he's concerned. Jesus is concerned about us, but sometimes not the way we think. And I think we would all agree that we have a compassionate, 
loving, concerned Savior. But we don't always understand His concern, do we? When Mary heard from her sister that Jesus was present, she ran to Him as quickly as she could. And the Jews were consoling her. The ones that were consoling her followed her, thinking that she was going to go to the tomb and weep there. Then when Mary was in Jesus' presence, she fell at His feet and said the same thing as Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now I don't think she meant this as a reprimand, but like Martha and probably any of us, it was a reflection of the sorrow that was deep in her heart. But some scholars may think uh, there was a hint of rebuke there, suggesting that Mary was saying, Jesus, you're really too late. Let's talk about a bit about Jesus' humanity. When he saw Mary weeping and the Jews and professional mourners, that's what they did back then, that professional mourners, they would hire these mourners. And Martha and Mary were wealthy, so they probably um, hired a number of mourners. And they were weeping. Um, and it was more like wailing. Not just weeping, but wailing. According to the Greek, ver- Greek verb, this word for wailing, uh, weeping means wailing. Um, so when Jesus saw that, John tells us that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. This verse is difficult to interpret because of the two phrases, deeply moved and greatly troubled. Deeply moved is probably a misleading translation uh, of the Greek verb. It may either be translated groaned or more likely angered. It seems to connote anger or sternness. The Greek verb is only used five times in the New Testament. And each time it's used, it's used of the Lord's words or feelings. And the meaning of the Greek word for troubled means agitation, which further emphasizes the intensity of the Lord's reaction. Basically, most scholars say Jesus was angry. Why was Jesus angry? Well, a number of reasons have been suggested. One, he was angry because of the people's unbelief. Two, he was angry because of the people's hypocritical wailing because they really didn't enter into Martha and Mary's pain. And three, the the suggestion which I think is probably the most reasonable is he was angry at the enslavement of Satan who had brought sorrow and debt to the people through sin. Dr. Ossie Sproul again says this, Personally, I think that which caused the anger of the Son of God to boil up and overflow in his spirit was that he was in the presence of the ravaging destruction of the greatest enemy of mankind, death. This was his enemy. This was his foe that in only a few days he was going to confront head on in the throes of agony. He would experience on the cross dying to conquer death. And I think... Jesus is angry at death and now he wants to locate the tomb so he can go and demonstrate his power over humanity's greatest enemy, death. Now we come to the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. The Son of God wept. means he silently burst into tears. It wasn't a loud crying like the other professional mourners. He silently burst into tears. Did he weep for Lazarus? No, he didn't weep for Lazarus. I don't think so. He was about to raise him from the dead to show God's glory. Why would he weep for him? Probably he wept because of the anger he felt so deeply towards death, the cemetery scene, the chaos and the loud wailing. And yes, I think also um, the compassion he felt for Martha and Mary. 
He mourned with those who mourned. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The Jews were right to say, see how he loved them. But they were wrong to think for one second that he wept because he shared the same hopeless despair they felt. Jesus doesn't take part of that. Jesus was concerned much more than they could imagine. And then of course we see in verse 37 that there were the ones that saw all the miracles Jesus did and make a comment like, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? The Son of Man, Jesus dealt with all kinds of unbelief. Jesus was so concerned for Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, but much more than they can imagine. Yes, he was concerned about the grief they were experiencing. And yes, he was concerned about Lazarus defeated by death. But I think Jesus was much more concerned about Martha, Mary, Lazarus, the crowd, and us learning and embracing that Jesus is eternal life, that eternal life flows from him, that he has power over death. Death doesn't have the final say. Jesus does. And all of us need to admit that getting rid of our difficulties are more important to us than trusting in the fact that Jesus has the power of our difficulties. It's more important to us that we are going to heaven than the fact that Jesus is our resurrection. Let's begin now to trust in him. Not deliverance from sin, sickness and death, trials and difficulties. We need to trust in the person of Christ. Let me illustrate in closing. Jesus didn't say, here's sonship family, here's eternal life. Like Felix the cat. He didn't say that. This is what he said. Here's sonship family, I am the resurrection and the life. His resurrection power and life is with you. And he's concerned from you more than you could understand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. We thank you, God, that you, you don't just give us life. You don't just give us salvation. You don't just give us truth. You don't just give us the way. You are all of those things. You are the source of life. Help us to understand that. When we go to you in prayer, help us to understand that we're not looking to get delivered from our difficulties. We're looking for the truth of the source of our difficulties that will deliver us. That you are our deliverance. We thank you, Father, that we have this resurrection power now living in us. In Christ's precious name. Amen.